This is the word of the Lord. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us, uh, that you'd teach our minds, that you would guide our hearts toward a trust in Jesus, that we would uh, trust him as our, our master, our savior, our Lord. And we would also yield to him uh, obedience, that we would do the things he commands of us. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would uh, instruct us, teach us now. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, if you were uh, here with us last Sunday, we were just in the beginning of uh, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, last week we saw that the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he uh, went out preaching these words saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And when you hear that, you think, wow, the kingdom of God is here. You might imagine, what would that look like? for God's kingdom to show up in the earth and show up among humans? What would it look like? Well, in this passage, we get uh, the first glimpse of that. And it turns out that Jesus is not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is kind of the religious capital of the world. He's not in Jerusalem. He's not in Rome. Rome, the political and power capital of the world. He's in Galilee. Galilee is about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. It's kind of an unimportant town. And he's mingling with uh, fishermen and some, you know, a few of the fishermen leave their jobs and go and follow Jesus and walk with him. This little scene, the changing of normal individual lives in normal, unimportant places through an encounter with Jesus, is how Jesus plans to change the world. And it's amazing because it's worked. I mean, that's why we're all here. We've been called by Jesus to follow him and to be his disciples, and we are here. On the other side of the planet, 2,000 years later, even today, 10,000 people in China every single day uh, encounter Christ and decide to follow him and to be his disciples. People are attracted to become disciples of Jesus. And being a disciple is very similar to the word, you know, being an apprentice. Uh, You imagine someone who uh, was going to be an apprentice of a woodworker, some kind of tradesman. And if you're an apprentice, what you do is you, you have this master woodworker and you come work alongside him and he tells you all his rules of thumb and this is how you cut this piece of wood and these are the techniques that you do. And actually, Jesus was a woodworker. He was a carpenter. So maybe he was an apprentice one day. And he experienced that and he said, you know, this is a good model for me to train uh, my disciples. Uh, but what Jesus is doing with us is he's, Giving us an apprenticeship, not in woodworking, but in how to be human. 
How do you learn to be human? Jesus teaches us. And so today we're talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And um, I'd like to help us understand that by asking three questions as we approach this passage from Mark, Mark 1. And this is what the three questions are. What is the role of the master? What is the role of the disciple? And then what is the result? When we become disciples of Jesus, what is the role of Jesus the master? What is our responsibility? What's the role of the disciple? And then when we enter into that discipleship, what is the result? What does it produce in our lives? And I think there's just in these few words here in Mark 1, real profound and key, just fundamental insights about what does it mean to be a Christian are right here in these verses. So three questions on being a disciple this morning. And the first is this. What is the role of the master? What is Jesus' role uh, in our discipleship with him? And I want to point out two things from this passage, okay? The first is that Jesus chooses his disciples. Jesus chooses his disciples. The disciples don't choose him. He chooses them. And this is backwards from most teachers or gurus or even rabbis in the first century. A rabbi would not choose his disciples. The disciples would come to the rabbi and ask, you know, what can I do to sit at your feet and learn from you? And actually that's true in the modern world too. Before I was, uh, became a pastor, I had dreams of getting a PhD in math. And when you apply for a PhD program, how you do it is you go pick a school that specializes in the area that you want to specialize in, and then you find a professor who's written papers on that area, and then you fill out your application, and you say, this guy at your school, oh, I think he's so smart, and I would just love to study under him, and oh, would he let, you know, take me as one of his students? You're kind of begging to become uh, one of their students. Something very different is happening in this passage. You see in verse 16 how it says, passing along the Sea of Galilee... Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Simon and Andrew weren't out looking for Jesus. They were fishing. They were doing their work. They were going about their life. And Jesus has come to them. Jesus has seen them. And uh, as they are going about their lives, and Jesus has inserted himself into their normal lives. And a plain fact is that Jesus did not do this for everyone. He didn't do this for everyone in the ancient world. He doesn't do it the same way, at least, for everyone in, uh, in, in our day. He has chosen Simon and Andrew, and later in this passage, he'll choose James and John. And so the role of the master, first of all, is that Jesus chooses his disciples. And you might wonder, well, what was special about Simon and Andrew that Jesus chose them? And when you look at the passage, you think nothing in particular they weren't uh, smart or religious or particularly good people. It doesn't say anything like that. It wasn't something in them that caused him to choose them. It was something in Jesus. It was a purpose in Jesus. This is very similar to God in the Old Testament. When you look in the Old Testament, you know, the Lord chose Israel as his chosen people. And the Lord is very clear in Deuteronomy. He tells Israel, don't start thinking it's because you were powerful, you were smart, or you were righteous, and that's why I chose you. That's not why I chose you. I chose you because I love you. Because I, I made promises to your fathers that I would choose you, and I have purposes for you. It's something in the Lord. It's God's grace that causes him to choose us. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus, why are you a disciple of Jesus? It is a mystery. It's for God's own reason, for the Lord's own reasons that he has chosen you. 
Now, you might look at this passage and say, well, you know, there is one thing that we learn about the disciples in this passage, maybe why Jesus chose them, is they were willing to follow Jesus. And you see that there in verse 18 where it says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And and we'll come back to that verse. But even this obedience where they just said, okay, Jesus, you call me to follow you, I'm going to follow you, seems to be the result of Jesus' words working in their lives. Because just before that, it says in verse 17, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. He doesn't ask them, do you want to come be my disciples? Let me tell you about my program or if you see if you're interested in them. He doesn't ask. He commands them. And it's as if his call is irresistible to them. It's like they can't say no to it. And they just immediately obey. Uh, they can't help but follow because his call has a power within itself. The call itself changed them. You know, it's like in the beginning of the Bible when God made the universe, it's what, you know, God spoke into the darkness, and what does he say? Let there be light. And what happens? There's light. The words change the world. It's in the same way. Jesus is that same God who made the universe, who's become a man, and now he's talking to these fishermen, and he says, follow me. And when the Lord of heaven and earth says, follow me, what happens? You follow. The words have an impact. They change you. That's how God's grace works in our lives. And the picture here is not Jesus begging people to become his disciples. He commands them, and his word does not return void. So the first thing we learn about discipleship is Jesus the master chooses disciples. But, you know, the, the connection to the creation account is related to a second answer to the question, what's the role of the master? So the master chooses his disciples. But second, Jesus also remakes his disciples. Jesus remakes his disciples. And in verse 17, again, it says, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And I love that little phrase, I will make you. Jesus says he's going to take these human beings and he's going to make something out of them. He's going to change them. And it reminds me of another image in the Bible where the Bible talks about our relationship to God, that it's the relationship of a potter to clay. That we're all these kind of lumpy, you know, balls of clay that the Lord presses into and shapes into a vessel for his own purposes. He has a plan. He's going to make us into something. And that's how you become useful to God is he remakes you and he changes you. And Jesus is basically saying to these men, I'm going to get my hands on you and you're not useful to me right now. But I'm going to change you and I'm going to shape you so that you will become useful to me. That's what we see. They spend three years with him. And they're struggling and they're, they're bumbling along. But eventually, uh, they, they become his apostles. And the role of the master is to make you into something that you don't yet understand. And one of the ways he's going to do that is, is it always is an uncomfortable process. You imagine a potter pressing into the clay. You know, the Lord, maybe you felt that. The Lord is pressing into me. He's molding me. He's shaping me in new ways that I don't want to get bent into. And he's, you know, it's like a coach. A, a good coach always makes you suffer. They always stretch you. They always, you know, I had a coach who would make you do push-ups until you said, I cannot, I literally cannot do another push-up. And if you ever say, I cannot do another push-up, guess what the truth is? You can do more push-ups. You can suffer beyond what you thought you could suffer. And that uncomfortability is how God is going to shape us and disciple us. 
And so the picture we have here is of, of the master is twofold, that he chooses his disciples for his own purposes, which we often don't know or understand. And, you know, by the way, the Bible does in one place tell us something about the kind of people that God chooses, that he prefers to choose the weak and the lowly because he is more glorified when the weak and the lowly end up serving him. And so that's the, the only thing that we get about God's pre- preference is for the weak and the, and the foolish. But the second thing, the master, is that he plans to remake us into something. Um, it's like a potter with a lump of clay or an artist who's going to shape us into a vessel that is used for his purpose. And so what does this process look like when God is going to shape us into, you know, a new kind of person? What is that process like? Well, that's the, uh, the second question that we see that this passage answers for us is what is the role of the disciples? If we looked at the role of the master, what's the, what is our responsibility as the disciple in this process? And again, I want to point out two answers from this passage. The first answer is our, our role is to give Jesus unquestioning obedience. Unquestioning obedience. And Jesus says to these men, follow me. They don't have a discussion. They don't say, well, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on. You don't understand my life. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how hard this is. There's nothing about that. In verse 18, it says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. It's unquestioning obedience. And one of the things we'll find later is that these were uneducated fishermen. They're not from, you know, from a place of importance, but they will become the great apostles. You know, Simon is Peter who will write two books of the New Testament. He's the leader of the Jewish church. John writes the gospel of John. He writes three books in the New Testament. I mean, these fishermen that Jesus chooses become way far more influential than all the rabbis and priests and philosophers in, in, in Jerusalem or in Athens or in Rome and that day, far more influential than any of them combined. And how does that happen? Is this one quality that they give Jesus their unquestioning obedience? When our master tells us to do something, we do it. And, you know, that's the same for us. You know, many of us feel like, you know, my life would be so different if, if maybe I'd grown up in a different family and I had different people who were mentoring me and shaping me and directing my life, and I just didn't have that kind of formation happening. And it's really got me in the wrong direction. I feel kind of aimless, or I haven't been able to do the things that I want to do. And you might be willing, saying, you know, I wish I almost had a, a new childhood. That's basically what discipleship is. Because, you know, when you're a child, you have a parent, and you how you grow up is you have to obey your parents. Your parents are teaching you about the world and you have to obey them. And it's like Jesus is a new parent to us and we become children to him and we have to give him the obedience that he requires. And I like how the late uh, Dallas Willard put it. Dallas Willard was the, the chair of the philosophy department at USC and he would also wrote books on spiritual formation and discipleship. And he said that being of a disciple of Jesus means putting the words of Jesus into practice. And it's such a simple phrase, putting the words of Jesus into practice. But it's amazing how many Christians in the world don't actually do that. That when Jesus commanded us to do something, he literally means he wants us to do it. So for example, when Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute you, if there is someone who's mistreating you in your life, you have to pray for them. 
It's not just a warm sentiment that, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to be too angry with them. No, you are supposed to pray for God's blessing on them. That actually has to turn into a regular prayer. He expects us to do that. Or when Jesus says, when you have a feast, don't invite your friends who are going to invite you back over to have a feast. Invite the poor, the the lame, the blind. Uh, This is not just a happy thought about how Jesus is really welcoming in his kingdom. He expects us, he's commanded us to do it and to literally do that, to have people in our homes that are the lonely, that are the poor, that are the disabled, that are the marginalized, that they sit at our home and eat in our tables. He expects us to do that. Or when Jesus says, if someone sins against you, you should go talk to them face to face and say, hey, we need to talk about that thing that happened. You know how little that happens? (laughs) Face to face, we got to talk about it. And if we can't work it out, we should get another person to come help us talk about it. He commands us to do that. We are his disciples, and we have to give him unquestioning obedience. He says to do it. Or when Jesus tells, uh, says, don't tell anyone when you give your money away or when you pray or when you fast. It should be a secret. You, your Father in heaven knows, and he's the only one who should know. It should be done in secret. We literally should not tell anyone about the money we give away. It's obedience to him. He has very practical commands that he gives to us, just like a good master does. You know, they give you rules of thumb. This is how you cut the wood. He's saying, this is how you be human. This is how you relate to people. This is how you walk with me. And uh, the role of the disciple is unquestioning obedience, to literally take his words and do them. And I want you to imagine what the opposite of unquestioning obedience is. You know, imagine that you are a a tradesperson. Maybe you're a, a, a plumber. I don't know anything about pipes, but uh, imagine you're a plumber and you have a young apprentice who's been assigned to you and you take him around from house to house and you're under the house and you're looking at the pipes and you tell the young apprentice, listen, this seems counterintuitive how I'm telling you to do it, but I've done this a million times. This is how you do it if you want to be a good plumber. And the young apprentice says, no, I don't think I need to do it that way. What are you going to say? You're going to be like, I could make you a great plumber, but not like this. If you, if you don't do what I tell you to do, you're not going to become a great plumber. It is the same with our Lord. He's not teaching us plumbing. He is teaching us how to be human. And they are very practical commands that he's given to us, and he literally wants us to do it. And the reason he tells us to do it is because he knows it's counterintuitive to us. We're not inclined to do it. It's not the natural way to do it. And so the role of the disciple is, first of all, unquestioning obedience. Um, we must trust the words of our master and put them into practice in our life. But the second role of the disciple that we see in this passage is ultimate loyalty to him. A disciple of Jesus must give ultimate loyalty to him. And you see that in verse 19 where it says, And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed Jesus. And so in in these two verses, following Jesus is set against two other potential loyalties that we might have, our family and our work. Uh, And James and John leave both their father and their fishing nets. And if there are two things in life that tend to dominate a person's loyalties, it is their family and their work. Um, And it could be maybe the family that you come from. 
Maybe you feel a lot of loyalty to your family. You know, my parents, they've had expectations about what I was going to do with my life. Or maybe my family has a certain way of beliefs about the world, and they expect that I share those beliefs. And uh, there, Jesus says in many places, there's going to be a test between your loyalty to him and what Jesus says we believe and what our family expects of us. And the test is who will we choose? And without question, Jesus says our role as disciples is to give him our ultimate authority. But you know, um, for many of us, actually, the test of our loyalty won't be so much from our family that we come from, from our parents, but oftentimes it's the, you know, the family that, our new family, when we get married, we have children, you know, it's very easy to justify that the most important thing in my life is my children. I do pour out everything in my life for my children. And that sounds like a very loving thing to do. But it turns out it's not good for our children. It's not good for us. Children should be loved and cherished and taught and disciplined. But they should not be the center of our universe. And actually, we are far better parents when Jesus is the center of our universe and not our three-year-old. And in this passage, John and James leave their father and their family business to follow Christ And being a disciple means that our ultimate loyalty is given to our master more than our family. But also, they show that their loyalty is to Jesus also more than their work, right? And, you know, they leave the the fishing nets. And work is often the thing that we look to as our deepest source of, of significance, the sense of like, oh, my life matters, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm moving up in my company, or I'm making enough money, and that's the thing that assures me I, you know, I don't feel shame about my life because of my work. My work is what I look to, which is kind of a strange thing, because the Bible tells us in the beginning that in a fallen world, affected by sin, work is going to be frustrating and futile. You know, it's going to be with thorns and thistles and, you know, the sweat of your brow. And it's, work is going to be frustrating. It's not a good thing to make the center of your life because it's often going to be frustrating and hard and disappointing. And uh, in this passage, James and John leave the fishing boats behind. Now, this doesn't mean that every disciple is going to leave their job and become a missionary. Uh, many people will leave their jobs to become missionaries. Some of you. God will call. Maybe God is calling to leave your jobs to, be, to go be missionaries. But what, what this means is that there will be times when my apprenticeship with Jesus will come into conflict with my work. It could be the values of the workplace that I'm in. Now my devotion to Jesus is in conflict with my work. Or it could be the sacrifices that I have to make for my work and my apprenticeship to Jesus are in conflict. And I'm going to have to choose my Lord. That's what this passage is telling us, the role of the disciple But I think most deeply is who has the devotion and affection of our hearts. Is it our work or our apprenticeship to our master? What's the thing that we love and is ultimately him? That's what we're called to. And so this is what we've seen so far about being a disciple. Is that first, what is the role of the master? Is Jesus chooses his disciples. You're only a disciple of Jesus because he called you and chose you. Uh, And his word was powerful to call you to himself. And then uh, he has a plan to make you into something new, like a potter, you know, taking a lump of clay and reshaping you into something useful for him. And second, what is the role of the disciple? The disciple is to give unquestioning obedience and ultimate loyalty. And so this leads to our, our third, question, third question. What is the result? 
When you enter into a discipleship relationship with Jesus, what effect does it have on your life? And again, I want to give two answers to that from this passage. And the first answer is, God will will begin to use our skills for his kingdom. God will begin to use our skills for his kingdom. And you see that in the, the strange expression that Jesus uses in verse 17 where he says, I will make you become fishers of men. Which I've always thought is a weird idea. You know, it, when you catch a fish, it's not a happy thing for the fish. You know, it gets a hook in its mouth or it's caught in a net and you pull it out and it can't breathe and it dies and then you eat it. And you're like, I'm going to have you do that with people now. You know, and you're like, what a, w-. but the reason Jesus uses images like that is because they're memorable. And especially to fishermen, they would think fishers of men, what a strange idea. You know, it's like when Jesus says things like, if your eye causes you to lust, you should gouge out your eye. Or if your hand causes you to sin, you should cut off your hand and you think, whoa, that's so gory. But you remember it because it's so vivid and so graphic and that's what Jesus is doing. But what does he mean by being fishers of men? Well, on the one hand, it does mean that these disciples are going to go tell people about Jesus. He's going to you know, catch people like fish and bring them into the kingdom. But I think there's more to it than that. I think Jesus is saying to them, Think about how much of your life revolves around the skills of fishing. You do it every day. You understand the nets. You know what time of day you're supposed to go fishing. You understand the fish and different kinds of fish and what, you know, how deep in the water the fish are. You have all these skills. And I want you to take these skills and I'm going to redirect them with a new purpose. And many of you have incredible gifts and skills. And what happens when you become a disciple is often the things that you are good at stay the same, but they take on a new purpose. You know, if you're good at building things or running a business or talking to people or playing music, being a disciple means these skills are no longer going to be used to just serve myself, but they're going to be used for God's glory, for the good of my neighbors, for the building of God's kingdoms. Jesus is going to take my gifts, my skills, and use them for him. And I remember an older elder in a church once made that observation to me that often a person's natural gifts and their spiritual gifts are really the same thing. It's just where they're being directed towards, what they're being used for. What are those gifts and skills being used for? And Jesus, when Jesus remakes you, takes you as a lump of clay and remakes you into a vessel, it's not that who you are as a person disappears. You know, I I remember when when I became a Christian, my parents, they were not Christians at the time, and they, they said to me, you know, your life is, you're totally different, except you're still same old Nate. And I thought it was such an interesting statement that you're totally different and you're still the same old person. How can that be? It's because in discipleship to Jesus, we're finally becoming who we were meant to be. We're becoming more ourselves. He was the one who gave us those gifts. And he had reasons that he gave us those gifts because he wanted them to be used for his kingdom and for his purpose. And now in discipleship to Jesus, at last they're going to be employed the way he wanted, originally intended them to be. And so what is the result of being a disciple of Jesus? Is first, our, our skills and gifts begin to be used for his kingdom. But the second answer to the result is that God begins to focus our lives on loving relationships. God begins to focus our lives on loving relationships. In that phrase, I will make you become fishers of men, what he's saying is 
Think about how much of your life has, you've been thinking about fish. Studying fish, how do fish behave, what are fish like. Now that same interest you're going to have about people. The thing you're going to be most fascinated with are people, how they behave, how they think, how they feel, what's happening in their lives, is your life is going to be about loving relationships with people. When you become a disciple of Jesus, the most important thing in your life becomes relationships. And why is that? Because you see in this passage that Christianity is about a relationship. Being a disciple is not about learning spiritual techniques to tap into a spiritual world is about coming to meet a person, Jesus Christ. Or more exactly, it's about a person coming to meet you. Being a disciple is about being loved by Jesus. And that's why your life gets focused on loving people, is because you realize that Jesus has come to love you. And later, later in the Gospels, Jesus will say to his disciples, I don't call you my servants, I call you my friends. Disciple with Je- discipleship with Jesus is friendship with him. And Jesus chooses his own friends because he remakes them with his own purposes. And through their unquestioning obedience and ultimate loyalty, he takes their skills and gifts and employs them for his kingdom, focusing their lives primarily on people and loving them. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And as we enter now into the Gospel of Mark in these next few months, we'll find Jesus walking with these disciples, training them, they bumble and, and uh, learn what it means to follow him, and he will reshape them, and we'll see the power of our Lord to transform lives and to transform our lives. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the great hope of the gospel that uh, as we go about our lives and our work and our families, that Jesus intervenes, inserts himself into our lives, and his uh, command, his voice changes us. Irresistible call to follow him. And Lord, uh, it is our deep desire to um, yield to him our unquestioning obedience and our loyalty, and you know our weakness May you give us grace to walk with him and may the many gifts present in this church be employed by you for your own glory, for the good of our neighbors, and for the building of your church and your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.